Hi, and thanks for tuning into JL's podcast. I'm your host, JL, and if you are a returning listener, thanks so much for coming back and lending your ear. If you're new, welcome. I hope that today you hear something that's encouraging, something that gets you thinking a little bit more about these topics that we cover and perhaps helps you to start to you know, maybe start you on that conversation yourself or gain a perspective um, that leads you to engage in further conversation about this in your own circles. I would love to hear from you and I want to encourage you to let me know your feedback for how each episode is impacting you. Perhaps it's encouraging, perhaps it's challenging you, perhaps it's empowering you. It's always nice to hear from you and to also put a face to who's on the other side of uh, of this. A massive thank you for you guys who have been sending feedback in and also really encouraging me and letting me know how this is impacting you. You know who you are and I really appreciate that. This week's episode is an Honest Chats episode and these are usually an interview style slash group conversation um, from one and all the way up to three people participating and so they go for a little bit longer from between 35 to 50 minutes long episodes and sometimes they're broken into two um, two episodes um, by themselves and so I hope that this encourages you I hope that this helps you as always don't forget to subscribe if you haven't leave a rating review and share this with someone Hey guys, massive apologies with um, just the beginning part of this episode. So for the first 14 minutes, if you can bear with it, there's going to be a lot of wind noise. Um, but um, yeah, we end up finding a good place to sit. But I don't want you to miss the first 14 minutes of this episode because Jackson does actually talk about some really important things in. So I want to encourage you to lean in and after 14 minutes, it'll just, um, the noise levels will reduce. And again, sorry about that. Um, just found it hard to get a place um, to just, you know, have a good conversation. Jackson. John Luke. <laughs> Jani. Yeah, here we are again. Here we are again. Yeah, I remember we used to sit down late at night. We were here at like 10 o'clock. Yeah, I know. Surprised anything in Perth was open past 10. Well, they closed down. And we had like. That's probably why. They were open past 10. Quick away coffees and just sit down past midnight. How old are we? 16. I think I had just gotten my license and I was pretty close to losing it, so I would have been 17 or 18. You're too excited, were you, on the road? We just started with such little demerit points. Yeah. Ageists. Ageists. 2018. Ageists. Uh, yeah, okay. So... Welcome. Thanks for agreeing to this. Um, Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your testimony and how you came to Christ. Sure. Yeah. So um, I came to know Jesus at the ripe old age of 12. Um, <laughs> uh, just before my bar mitzvah. 
No, there's no badminton involved. Um, that's 13. So, yeah, 12 years old, I was invited to, I was actually 11, uh, year 6, I actually wasn't allowed to go to youth group because I was too young. And I remember my mum calling our youth master at the time, Josh. And he's a great guy. Uh, shout out to JF. Um, and saying to him that you can either take both of my sons or you don't take either of them for your youth program. And um, my brother was obviously the one that got the invite through uh, his high school. And Josh happily broke the rules and took us both. And uh, we ended up going to a random warehouse building that had no signage on it in Westchester Road, Malaga, here in Perth. And there wasn't even carpet on the floors at that point, much like oh, really? the new building is at the moment. Uh, and we watched Bruce Almighty in what was, and later on became one of the kids' rooms. And the whole way through the movie, I kept getting confused why uh, whoever was in charge of the remote control kept fast-forwarding all the swear words. Um, and then on my way out that night, I was given a was given a flyer to uh, what I later found out was Planet Shakers Conference. Oh yeah, um, the flyer itself just looked like a rock concert, and so I obviously took that home and uh, gave it to Mum and said, "Mum, I want to go to this. I've never been to a rock concert before. Can I go?" And uh, and she happily signed off on it and uh, paid the registration and I went along to conference uh, this this well, at that point I just thought it was a concert and uh, remember going to the concert conference and um, and was really confronted because it was not a concert at all it was pretty Pentecostal uh, <laughs> a lot of hands in the air like people really did care and uh, it was probably one of the weirdest things I'd ever seen. And uh, I remember sitting there, actually in tears, not because the spirit was moving, but because I was just purely freaked out by what I was looking at. <laughs> and not knowing what I had signed myself up for. So um, through that experience, when a evangelist Reggie Dabbs to the stage and had a great way of engaging the audience and especially me um, I tuned in and I was like oh this actually seems pretty cool not to uh, confronting for my own what I was used to so um, it was probably the next night when Reggie Dabbs got up and gave an appeal to follow Jesus that I was 12 years old and thought what am I going to lose I just want to give this thing a shot. If Reggie says that it's uh, something worth buying into, then I'll try this Jesus thing out. So ended up uh, responding, raised my hands, prayed a prayer, uh, walked to the front, and from that point, made myself as a Christian. So that's, that was kind of the point of conversion, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And then, probably the youth group, served in the youth group, served in the church. Yeah, so we were in youth together, Yeah, we which were. was yeah. wild. Yeah, very wild. Wild and free. 
And then you moved well, yeah, I guess before even going there, talking a little bit about kind of the journey after conversion is probably a, a better place to start, understanding that. Um, Coffee and drinks all good, guys? Yeah, we're all good. Thank you. Thanks, bro. Um, coming from the place of conversion to a point of actually understanding what Christianity was or yeah. is, an experience in its own self in the way that uh, when I gave my life to Jesus I was 12 and I didn't feel like anything in the world was a kid and uh, it was almost I often say that it was almost after I gave my life to Jesus that my life got difficult um, and the biggest reason why is because I suddenly had a choice in every ethical and moral decision that I could make not only that, but home life started to become pretty turbulent. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, just in general, teenagehood, going through the motions of identity and finding self and understanding who I was, was all happening at the same time. So I grew up in a home with a single parent. So mum raised me and my brother pretty much solo uh, for pretty much my entire childhood and adolescence mum struggled with alcoholism um, after seeking some rehabilitation a number of times uh, she still continued to relapse but even within that capacity she was still our mother so she still cared for us as much as she could she still loved us as much as she could but there would be uh, almost seasons I guess of not really knowing what we would face whether that looked like not getting picked up from school uh, or would be cooked that week or having to fend for ourselves and get ourselves out of bed and motivate ourselves to go to school. They were turbulent times. So during that time I had committed to following Jesus and it was in those times where I really clung to my understanding of faith and, and my faith really got to the test. Uh, and I remember vividly when I was probably about 15 years old I had borrowed my mum's car. Um, as all fifteen-year-olds, as all fifteen-year-old kids that live in the hood do. Um, <laughs> and as I was pulling it back in the driveway, I uh, pressed the wrong pedal and went through our fence, uh, through our backyard, hit some gravel in our backyard, and then through our shed then through the fence behind our shed and into a palm tree of the neighbouring house oh, and completely totaled mum's car. Um, and I remember the first person that I called was uh, Josh Hodgkin, my youth leader. I still remember his phone number off my heart, 040. Don't you that <laughs> 100. <laughs> Shout out, Josh. You can bleep that out. I know you got sound effects. You can put over that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I just remember that off my heart even now because that was the impact that my youth leaders were having on my life at that time yeah. and so it was from a young age that I realised that I was supported, I was cared for that no matter what there was something crazy about a certain group of people that wanted to look out for me yeah. and, um, and that really inspired me I think to do the same and, and pursue my faith 
to that degree where I could actually care for others. And even though hitting adolescence, I, you know, maybe got on the beers with a few mates every now and again, there was still a degree of knowing that God was with me, that the, the God that I put my faith in, Yeshua Mashiach, is God with us, the Messiah with us. That it's not a God that is distant, it's a God that relationship and, and I had a relationship with even if I at times would turn my face or turn my back from so um, yeah wow. so within that doing that journey I um, got to about 2009 and uh, I was 17 years old last year of high school and uh, mum's condition worsened to some degree in March, she had some uh, health complications, which put her into the intensive care unit, and uh, an operation was done to, to fix some internal uh, issues that were going on inside of her body. And then come August, I was invited to my dad's remarriage. He was marrying um, his partner at that point, who they had been together for coming on probably 10 to 12 years. And, uh, and so me and my brother went to his wedding in Bali. It was an awesome location to do a wedding. Uh, meanwhile, mum was still in recovery from the operation that she had had. And we were probably there for about two or three days. We flew out on the 1st and on the 5th we had a phone call uh, from Australia from our uh, mum's partner, uh, who she had been partnered with for about the same 10, 12 years. And it was a, a phone call that you can never be prepared for, and it was that mum had died, uh, basically. And part of that complication, complication that had happened earlier had been triggered, or something had happened uh, medically as a result of her alcoholism, whether it was a cirrhosis of the liver and um, taking, you know form or something like that, but we basically told him I was dead. And uh, being in a foreign country, far from control of the situation, it just hit, hit me anyway, like a bricks. Um, didn't know where to turn, I didn't have my support network, I didn't have my church there. I had uh, my dad who was in our lives, but scarcely. Um, and my and my family on my dad's side who I have a relationship with but it's not a great you know strong relationship with but the suggestion from back in Perth when we were in Bali was hey stay in Bali because you've got a support network there there's nothing really that we could have done uh, in Perth but stay in Bali and and, um, and, and finish off the, the rest of the duration of the trip that you've got over there um, so we stayed and wedding it was two days after that so it was a fairly big rollercoaster of emotions happy yeah. for that and my stepmom um to be and at the same time going through the state the stages of grief and understanding how to process grief and yeah. feeling angry but you know come trying to come to terms and accept the situation but when, you, when you're distant from it it can be really difficult to do that um, because it's almost not real uh, so anyway, we flew back to Perth on, I think it was the 10th, or the 10th or the 12th, and um, when we got back, uh, we were advised that the 
funeral had already taken place. The funeral and the cremation happened uh, without me or my brother in the country. And uh, the assumption was made by my mum's um, brother and sister, who we didn't have a great relationship with, and partly because of mum's condition of alcoholism, um, that uh, we were estranged to some degree, even from our mum. And so, was, yeah. so strange talking about mum, funerals, funerals been done without you, gotten back. Um, so, where do you go from there, <laughs> right? Yeah, so so in the scheme of things, the, the our whole world had been turned upside down. Yeah. Uh, we arrived back from Bali. Um, Dad's stayed in Bali for his honeymoon. To it's all pre-booked, so he had to. And um, me and my brother were just thrown into this world that now didn't consist of our sole provider. And so we got back and we were given two weeks to move out of our house from um, where we were because we were in a government housing um, set up. Oh, wow. uh, Basically just had two weeks to move and it was in that time specifically where I really saw the church come through. Um, in the sense that it was people from the church that were bringing us food uh, and supplying for us and um, bringing us toilet paper and uh, you know the, the paper towels and just the, the little things yeah. but not only that but it was people like Scott and Stella who would be at our doorstep when it was time to move house that would help us scrub our floors and clean the house so that we could wow. at least try and get some of our bond back from yeah. what, what we had um, never anticipated to, <laughs> to ever have to go through. So in that season, it was really the church that, that showed this radical Christ-like love that yeah. really inspired me a lot to go, well, if these people are crazy enough to do this for me, yeah. this is the kind of life that I want to live for others. Um, so, yeah. yeah. What's that? It's crazy. And all through, so you're kind of like you're giving your life to Jesus. Everything like following, well, a lot of things following major significant changes. Mm. And all throughout this, you're still trying to discover how to be a teenager, a human. Yeah. Trying to think about the future. Trying to. Wow. Yeah. Totally. And, and that's not to say that I just lived in this Christian bubble and didn't... Well, that's not... Ever, doesn't sound like a Christian bubble to me. <laughs> yeah, but didn't ever, like... You know, didn't just always run to the church all the yeah, time yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for my peace of mind or my um, stability control. There was a lot of times where, especially when I started to work a part-time job, where I started to find new community and mm. new friends mm. that uh, after work would like to get on the beers instead yeah. of getting on the communion so it was uh it was definitely <laughs> a, say why, no. I, I definitely had choice and i think that's what i discovered i've continually discovered through my christian walk is that jesus isn't just something you choose once it's not just uh the, the day of conversion that you know there's no point that you choose jesus and you don't have to choose him anymore it's actually a continual mm. choice that every day we wake up we yeah. need to choose christ yeah and put him first and and 
if that doesn't happen, then there's plenty of other choices we can make. I, in my experience, have just never seen many of the others bear as much fruit. I mean, getting on the getting on the coronas after work would bear yeah. fruit, but it wouldn't be very good fruit. It yeah. would be a sore head and a, a wheezy stomach the next day. That's the kind of fruit that that lifestyle brings. Um, smoking a bong is bears a fruit, but it's not a very healthy fruit. And it's not a fruit that sets you up for a win down the track. But for some reason, some God-known reason, not some unknown reason, that uh, planting myself in the church and surrounding myself with good people um, has borne great fruit in my life. And, And my pastor says it all the time, that if you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And I heard that late in the game. I didn't know that at 12. If I'd been told that, I probably would have rebelled against it and found different friends. But because, uh, looking back in some capacity at who I surrounded myself with when times were turbulent, or not even when times were turbulent, but when times were great, people like yourself and and, uh, our youth leaders and people in our church and people from other churches and great friends that were solid people, um, I can see the hallmark of their lives in mine, mm. in one way or another. Yeah, right. So, and throughout this time, I think, like, what I, what I was seeing is, you know, even with work and stuff that you were wanting to put your hands on, you knew there was something in you. So I, I, I don't think I've ever known you well. I've never actually known you to be, you know, a victim. You know, you don't have that mentality. Uh, and so throughout all this time, while this is going on, um, you know, you're. I sort of saw you trying to find and try your try your hand at a lot of things. Mm. Um, tell us about that journey. Yeah. So I don't think. Uh, the people I had in my life would have even let me become a victim. I remember our pastor, Josh, at the time, um, it was probably soon after, probably a couple of months after uh, the whole death of mum happened and I was kind of going through this period where he asked me a really uh, poignant question which hurt a lot when he asked it. He said, uh, so your mum's dead, Do you think she's, do you think she's in heaven? I was like, catch this guy up. Like, who the heck? Like, we were driving, to, we were driving to a men's camp in Bustleton. And he was like, where do you think she is? And it hit me because I was like, I don't know if she was a Christian. I don't know if she wasn't a Christian. And is, you know, making the decision one day, does that get you into heaven? What gets you into heaven? Like, is heaven a place? Like, this whole, like, yeah. to and fro discussion I'm having in my head in split-second instances... And I just simply responded to him with, I don't know. I actually don't know. And he said, good. And the follow-on from that was, because it's actually not your choice to make. Whether you think someone should go to heaven or they should go to hell, it's actually not up to you. What is up to you is whether you trust God, that he is just. 
and I think so, stuff like that actually released me from being a victim and yeah. going, oh, you know, God's so good. Why do bad things happen to me? And you know, that that kind of they're big questions, and some people need those answers. But I think for me, I was I'm comfortable enough with going. You know what? I know God is just. Um, so at the end of the day. Yeah. No matter what the answer is, I just pray for justice and His justice in, yeah. in this world and in, in life. So um, that doesn't answer your question at all. But, no, it does. Um, no, then... So trying my hand at different things, like where that all came from, I guess not staying in that victim space yeah. really came when I finished high school because my plan, my ideal uh, plan from the age of probably 13 so I gave my life to Jesus at 12 by 13 I admired my youth leaders and especially my youth pastor mm. Josh Fernandez who later became my senior pastor so much that I wanted to do what they did yeah. um, I remember having a dream at about 13 and it's not like a I had a dream it's just it was just I woke up one day and I really felt that I wanted to pastor a youth ministry Um, the image that I had was standing in front of a crowd of people in a stadium preaching and I related that to what I saw and knew to be pastoring young people that's not at all what pastoring (laughs) young people looks like (laughs) but (laughs) disclaimer heads up for any youth pastors wanting a platform Uh, it's a lot of hard work that you don't see off the platform and years but, and years and <laughs> tears years and tears and fears but not beers <laughs> but not beers your fears um, yeah um, but actually coming to that place of, of I had a deep conviction at about 13 years old that I was going to be a youth pastor so I remember uh, we did a time capsule in year 7 and our teacher walked around with a video camera and asked everybody what do you want to be when you grow up and who's your biggest hero and everyone was, you know, I love Lionel Messi. I want to be a, a pro soccer player when I grow up. And I want to be a policeman. And my hero is Constable Care. Or, you know, I don't know. No one's hero is Constable Care. Let's be real. But for me, my response was, my hero is Josh Fernandez. And I want to be a youth pastor. And mm. everyone was like, okay, first of all, who is Josh Fernandez? Guy, yeah. And what the heck is a youth pastor? Yeah. Does that mean you just eat spaghetti all day? And for me, it was, I just had this conviction that that's what I want to do. And so um, coming through high school, my plan was when I finish high school, I'm going to go to Bible college. Uh, I get to 17 years old, last year of high school, and my mum dies. Yeah. Um, at that point, I'm working two jobs. One at a fast food chicken outlet called Red Rooster. Yeah. Shout out to Red Rooster. It's all my homies locked down. Um, making <laughs> classic quarter chicken and chips and you know it was great good fun but uh, I was also working a second job in retail selling TVs at mm. a shop called Harvey Norman yeah, I remember TVs and fridges and hair dryers yeah. and one guy I remember he walked in looking for a foot spa the day before Mother's Day any guy that comes into a retail store here's a little hot tip for any retail workers any guy coming spa. in the day before Mother's Day looking for a foot spa you can sell that fool anything you just need to tell him his wife's going to be stoked so I converted the sale from a foot spa into a $3,000 coffee machine and he walked out with the whole kit banging caboodle That's I right. felt a little bit guilty but then at the same time <laughs> I'm like you knew he was happier he'll be happy his wife <laughs> might be happy she might be pissed that he bought a $3,000 expense but at least they'll have good coffee um 
So yeah, uh, did those did a couple of part time jobs? I guess like growing up in the way that I did in the in the kind of environment that I did, I really wanted to do anything that got me out of home. Mm. Um, and then yeah. while I was in my last year of high school, I did some work experience at a real estate office, right. and I got a role. Uh, they offered me a job at the end of that to be come on as a sales cadet to later move into a sales representative role. And that was that was good. But I remember when I got offered the role, I really had this tension to manage where I was like, my God, I thought you wanted me to go to Bible college and you know, I've always wanted to be a youth pastor and now I'm being presented with this opportunity and it looks really good and it looks really nice and you know, God, is this you? And I remember talking to one of our youth leaders, Shane Thor, who's still an incredible yeah. influence in my life yeah. and um, is on the ministry team with me at the church that I'm now at and uh, part of our conversation, it was coming out of a McDonald's drive through he just simply said to me, because well, I was toing and froing about this and obviously making it the biggest thing in the world, because it was for me at the time, and he simply said something really so simple it was profound, and it was this, if God's going to use you, he's going to do it anyway. The will of God is not a job, it's not a role, it's not a title, it's not a place, it's not a position. Yeah. The will of God is that we love God and love people. Yeah. The greatest command that Jesus gives us is to love God and love people. Mm. When we step out of those parameters, we should feel the conviction yeah. that I'm outside of the will of God. Yeah. Um, or if someone point, might have to point it out for us, yeah. hey, that wasn't loving yeah. to God, ordered that person. Um, then I think that's actually what mm. uh, his position was basically. If God's going to use you, he's going to do it anyway. Yeah. Just stay true to loving God and loving people and so I ended up taking the real estate job mm. instead of going to Bible college mm. it was stabilizing because I was in a turbulent season anyway mum had just passed away and it was actually probably a, a good thing to step into yeah. um, I didn't have the finances behind me to study or you know pick up a degree or you know go to Bible college and support myself so I was like okay well I'll try this mm. um, and it was probably around that time, uh, about two and a half years into the role, where I st- started to feel a bit morally conflicted with some of the operations within the, the office environment. Yeah. And I was giving up my Sundays, so I wasn't able to go to church and give all that I could in ministry um, because I was doing open houses and yeah. home opens. And just I got to a place where I was convicted that I'm actually... St- I'm actually verging on stepping out of the will of God for my life wow. and um, and there was some other you know internal uh, happenings within the office where promises hadn't been delivered on and I felt quite taken advantage of in that yeah. environment and so I made the decision to resign and so I stepped out of that and stepped into into nothing wow. and um, <laughs> and ended up the next day walking into a clothing store and saying, hey, I need a job. So you have a sign in the window. Yeah. And I went from a, uh, a high-paying real estate or decently-paying real estate position into a low-paying retail job selling T-shirts and socks and suits hey, at, Roger, at Roger David. Roger. Yeah, Roger David Roger. clothing. And so um, I remember getting frustrated because my car literally broke down about four times because I ran out of fuel. And I would have friends that would just miraculously ring me at the right time. Mm. And 
I remember Royce Dinsmore once <laughs> called me and said, hey, mate, what are you up to? And I said, bro, to be honest, I've actually just broken down. Wow. Like my car is on the side of the road. I don't have fuel. He's like, mate, I'm going to siphon some fuel out of my dad's boat and I'll come and <laughs> fill up your car. And I was like, oh, sweet. Cool. Yeah, you sure, bro? Like, awesome. you don't have to do that. Like, yeah, awesome. maybe just come pick me up. I'll go buy a jerry can. And, yeah. and But he came and just filled, literally filled up my car with fuel out of his dad's boat. I hope his dad didn't get out on the ocean and realize he didn't have any fuel, but yeah, hooked a brother up. But it was situations like that where I just, I, I was, I, was in a, I put myself into this place of struggle, kind of this desert season where I really had to trust and rely and, and be like, God, I need your provision. I need your manner. I need your providence in this because I'm struggling, I'm hurting. Um, what is your will for my life? You know, coming back to that same question that I was yeah. asking and frustrated, kind of frustrated at God being like, and I think that's when the kind of frustration started to settle in, even around mum's death. Going, yeah. You know, if mum was still alive, none of this would have been happening. And So you had no closure from that still? I'm so sorry, James. Can you bring everything in? All good. Do you bring the chairs in as well? Everything. Okay. Everything. Yeah, that's cool. I will just... I will just So I think it was around that time when I remember going to a church service at a, another church, one of our neighbouring churches in Malaga, <coughs> and uh, had a friend pray for me and just pray for favour over whatever role or um, uh, role or position I was in. And within four weeks, and I, I don't know, I believe the miracles can happen. And I yeah. think God might have been at work in this. Um, that I just started to experience favor within Roger David, and in like really weird kind of ways. So in the way where um, somebody, one of our, basically our state from the top up in the organisation, the yeah. state manager for Roger David had resigned, um, and um, our store manager had resigned. And so our full-timer, who was actually pregnant, became our store manager, which yeah. meant that I got bumped up to being the full, having the full-time role. Oh, so then I had a full-time paycheck coming in, which was yeah. great. Um, and then our manager was having complications with her pregnancy, and so she had to go on maternity leave early. And because our state manager had just been replaced or had had the role had been given to a state manager from another state. Um, I was given the management position because he didn't know how long I'd been with the company. He basically said, hey, you, you're the full-timer. That means you've been here the longest. Do you want the management role? And so I got a management role after working for the company for four weeks. I knew nothing about the store at all. But I was given this great role. Um, and then it was around that time that I actually got a phone call from Apple, Apple Computers, Apple yeah. Inc. Uh, and I was offered a position with them, full-time position on the Genius Bar. Oh, yeah. This was 2013, offered a, a full-time role with a great company. And I felt terrible because I was like, I've just taken this management yeah, position. And uh, so again, I was I was really relying on God. I was like, God, you need to give me favor. I'm going to call my manager and just put the ball in his court yeah. and see what he thinks I should do. So 
um, Apple were like, you're either in or you're out. Like, this is the only time that you can have this role. If you're not in, then we need to give the position to someone else and we won't be able to... You'll have to go through the whole process again. The process with Apple was ridiculous. Like, it was like eight months. Eight months to get a role... Or yeah. get a get a job about a phone call. ten different interviews that I went in for, yeah. uh, and so I had given up on that months ago. But it was in you know I think in response to that prayer for favour that that actually came through. And so I spoke to my um, state manager at the time, and I just said to him, I said, hey, what, you know, I know I've just taken on the management role. I've been in it for a week, um, but I've just had a phone call from Apple, and they have offered me a full time role. Um, on the Genius Bar, what do you think I should do? And he was like, take it. He's like, why, w- why wouldn't you take that? He's like, if I had the opportunity to work for Apple, I'd take it. Whoa. Like, go, they're a great company, work for them. Yeah. And so there was this great sense of peace and release to step into a really stabilizing role. Um, and so I did, 2013, and then uh, worked for Apple for two years. Just, uh, just over two years and um, it was in the time of working for Apple where um, Apple's such a big company that everything was really stabilising the financial side of working for them was fine the rostering was pretty check in, check out, didn't have to take any work home with me like I did in real estate or mm. think about rostering yeah. or management after hours and I got to a place where I really felt like God started to awaken some dreams that had been in my heart that might have been stifled by the covering of all the pressures of life when they were there. So um, it was around that time that I uh, started to dream again. So So, you needed real stability in order to like... Inside of yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And this is where. And I think I think sometimes that's how you know God works. It's in the nothing seasons where we're reminded of the promises that He's yeah. been, that He's put on our lives, yeah. and sometimes we can get busy doing and not busy trying to understand. Mm. So, what did you learn about yourself in this like two-year period? To I think I, I learned that I was I was just being I was just doing I was just becoming busy and I was putting myself under pressure yeah. I think like working in real estate and you know working as much as I could and trying to stabilise my own ship as opposed to just standing still and letting uh, watching God do the work yeah so be still and, and watch what I'll do it was kind of the, mm. the scripture that came to mind when I was in real estate mm. um, it was also quite a, a turbulent time in the sense of ministry uh, I uh, ended up getting kicked out of youth ministry oh, really? at that point really? uh, yeah I don't, I don't think that's public <laughs> knowledge but it is now um <laughs> In the sense that I um, had made a call to do something which was above the youth pastor's head at that time. Yeah. Um, and that was to uh, sponsor 
the replacement of a bike for one of the students in a youth ministry mm. um, who was in a foster care environment slash situation and and I saw it best fitting that restorative justice for this young person who had their bike stolen was as a youth ministry and a youth ministry team that we should maybe all chip in and buy him a new bike but the opinion um, of the youth pastor at the time who was probably more educated on the actual situation um, told me that that wasn't the best scenario and that the carer of that young person didn't want that to take place and uh, I basically told him to get stuffed and I was going to do it anyway and because it was never from my angle I was never representing the youth ministry in the action Mm, it was never going to be from the youth ministry here's a new bike it was hey I just felt to get you a new bike Um, but however I would have justified it the call was made that if you're not going to submit to the leadership then um, Mm. you won't be a part of the team Mm. and uh and that really, like, it really upset me. It really outraged me yeah. to a to a point that I um, I was angry. I was really upset. I was really frustrated. I was because partly because from thirteen, I'd always had in my head that I was going to pastor a youth ministry. I was going to, and this is like a knock. And that was kind of like almost God taking away the one thing that I was the one dream that I still had yeah. in my heart and I was like God how how is how is this yeah. how have you called me to pastor a youth ministry and I'm not yeah. even serving in youth ministry and the best way that I can I explained it to some of my mentors at the time was it almost I almost felt like my vision had been clouded I was like is everything that I've believed for my life been a lie like did I just fool myself into thinking this and what am I doing moving forward and it was actually um a good friend of mine, Dave Hack, who said to me in this season, he knew the situation and just said, hey, mate, like, no matter what, you need to know that even if you can't see the whole road ahead, um, that he encouraged me with the Psalms and said that the word of God is a light unto your path and a lamp unto your feet. And the image of that scripture is that we might have these dreams being the light on our path down the track you can see the lighthouse in the distance you can see the street light in the distance and everything in between you might not be able to see uh, but what you can see is the next step you can see the lamp on your feet is also the word of god and and that illuminates where you might or should probably go next Mm. in one capacity or another and so it was with that encouragement that i started to go well if i honestly believe that god has called me to pastor a youth ministry or pastor in the formal sense of the word mm-hmm. within a church context yeah. then i need to get equipped for that that's right and um it was actually uh during a trip to california where i went for a friend's wedding um, oh, yeah. where i spent some solitude time by myself in los angeles and i sat on the santa monica pier and had dropped in my heart, it's it's time to get equipped. Mm. It's time to get ready for ministry. Yeah. Um, there was a deep sense of home in that place, in Santa, sitting on Santa Monica Pier, watching a, a sunset. Mm. It sounds really romantic. It's just it was just me, it my, it was just me and myself. <laughs> it was rom- romance with me. Um, like I should start a podcast. <laughs> romance with me. 
Jackson. I'm Jackson Jennings, and this is Romance with Me. <laughs> um, so I was sitting on Santa Monica Pier, watching the sunset, and just had this conviction of it's time to get ready. Yeah. What are you doing to get ready? You think this call is on your life? Then get ready for it. Mm. Um, I ended up coming back to um, Perth and bringing that in with me and I was working at Apple so things were stable and yeah. I was in the space of being like well where like, I, I could go to Harvest West which is a Bible college here in Perth Bible Perth, Perth Bible yeah. College I could yeah. go to Vos yeah. Seminary um, the only issue that I had with those is that I was familiar with some of the people that would have been working there and so I didn't want to take the time that I was spending in college granted I wanted to be solely focused yeah. and firmly focused and so um, I started to look at uh, Bible colleges in other states yeah, and um, fl- flew to Sydney in October of 2013 mm-hmm. and um, looked into Hillsong International Leadership College mm-hmm. and um, it was like this This seems like it could, could, could work yeah. could, this could be where I want to could be where I want to do college it was daunting still even though it was like still Australia it was daunting because like, I, I didn't know Sydney I didn't know my my up from down I didn't know my geography or the landscape or and so I ended up coming back to Perth and spoke to everyone that should have told me it was a stupid idea and um, all of those people told me that it was a good idea. I remember meeting with Pastor Josh Fernandez, who was my youth pastor from 12 all the way through to that point, 20 years old, yeah. and had moved from being my youth pastor to my senior pastor and just my you know, greatest mentor in so many ways. And we went Fernandos, and almost before we even sat down, he the first thing that came out of his mouth was, so you're moving to Hillsong wow. to do college, right? Yeah. And I'm like... Okay, who tipped you off? <laughs> who tipped you off? What's going Stop on? counting your accountability partners. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, so he, he um, happily released me, probably a little bit too easily. I don't know what I did, but <laughs> no, he was, he was my greatest supporter, greatest like cheerleader. Butter. And so, yeah, just, okay, go, quick, make the move. Um, so yeah he released me and then by January that year I was on a plane January 10 2014 I'd moved across the country um, to do college with no intention of ever coming back to Perth yeah because that was like well dude it wasn't really a plan after that really like it was just college was the next step yeah that's right and and that's that's kind of what I had in mind it was it was the lamp under my feet mentality it was I'll take the next step and I'll see what happens and I'll just keep walking just keep swimming just keep swimming was that around the time Finding Nemo came out? no it was years (laughs) after Finding Dory I think came out a couple of years later Um, but yeah the um, the whole process was just I'm going to do college and then see what happens from here so trying not to put an expectation on on God. I think the first um, message that I heard when I got to college was around um, the story of Abraham and the scripture where it talks about um, Abraham and Sarah going to the land that God had shown them and staying there a while. Yeah. And yeah. the context around that that was being presented was that 
God didn't give them a time frame. He didn't give them a timeline. And it's one of those messages where I'm like, this is speaking to me. You know, <laughs> He prepared this because he knew I'd be in the room, apart from the fact that he doesn't even know who I am. Um, and it was this message that really hit me home in the heart and went, this is where you're going to be, yeah. staying for a while until the cloud moves. Yeah. And the cloud yeah, being yeah. in the Old Testament, the presence, presence of God. Um, until you feel that the presence of God is no longer with you yeah. in this place, stay. Oh, and so that was, that was my plan. Stay here a while. Awesome. It's not a time frame. So. And I was thinking on the way to meeting you today, uh, yeah, your story does seem, has some similarities to Abraham, but you kind of just, when I think about it, you went to Sydney like no guarantees of anything and then you just like yeah I'm just going out to do college and, <laughs> and yeah that's it like that's my yeah one year plan like, hopefully I'll have a kid before I'm a hundred hey look arthritis kicks in early these days <laughs> that's a big possibility yeah. I just read a 62 year old have a kid the other that's day, dangerous so. yeah for her and him and, I don't know who and, and how old kid. was she <laughs> yeah couple in their 60s so wow yeah interesting isn't it um wow and you've had a hand at youth pastoring in Sydney yeah so when I finished college um I did two years of Hillsong College and loved it it was awesome it's an awesome place to go Mm. um I'm not on commission but (laughs) I think it's just great for formulating um, a stern identity and and focusing on what leadership looks like in a personal devotion way as well as uh, outworking that in the world in any capacity Um, but within that um, I think the onus is on the student to find their place after yeah. college it I think is, yeah. there can be maybe sometimes people go with an expectation that they're going to do three years of Hillsong College and somehow get a job on Hillsong, Hillsong staff and that's just not reality not for reality. so many students and I think I made a commitment going into my second year that no matter how long I'm going to do at college I'm not going to finish college and work at Starbucks it was just a, I just didn't, I, I just wasn't going to. Yeah. And some might say that, oh, you know, humble yourself and go and, um, you know, do whatever it takes. But for me, I had this deep conviction that I'm called to, to ministry, yeah. in youth ministry. So when I finished uh, at Hillsong College, I, uh, I was in the place again of asking God, what do you want me to do? And I really felt like God was fed up with that question. And I didn't hear audibly from God. I didn't get anything from God. But what I did feel was, just do what I told you to do last. Yeah. I don't change my mind. Yeah. Stop asking me yeah. this stupid question every three years yeah. and just hurry up and get on with it. <laughs> um, and I think that's like, like God's not schizophrenic. Yeah. Like he's not. That's right. Yeah. Hey, uh, you know, put streams in our hearts and then, you know, wants us to do something else it's very much like if there's a desire or dream that is of God and loves God and loves people and is inside that will then yeah. I think that we just stay true to that and so I li- there's, there's nothing spiritual about this I went on Google and Googled youth ministry jobs Sydney yeah. and hit enter 
and the first job that popped up was about 10-15 minutes down the road mm. and so I applied for it mm. and uh, was given the position I'd never been to this church before mm. I'd never stepped foot in there before I had my interview I'd never met the senior pastor Yeah. and um, it was a small local church yeah. um, far removed from what I was used to in um, the context of, of leadership out working so yeah. even here in Perth being under Josh's leadership there was a great degree of being able to articulate vision yeah, yeah. the ability to know where we were going and how we planned to get there has always been a I don't know if it's a yeah. high priority of Josh's or just a great gifting um, yeah. but that's a similar leadership that has driven Hillsong to be what it is today. Yeah, Many yeah. people look at us and and are asking, what's the secret 11 herbs and spices? Well, it's, it's simply that there's an understanding that everything rises and falls on leadership. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in. That is the end of that episode. I'm currently bobbing my head to the music. Um, So, huge thanks for tuning in and sticking with us thus far. Hope that you got blessed by this conversation. Um, Let me know how it impacted you. Let me know if you have any questions you'd like a response to. I want to encourage you to send those in. Email me, get in touch with me through my... Um, social media feeds and as always if you're new I encourage you to subscribe we drop an episode every Tuesday Um, and if you're returning um, thanks for sticking with us I want to encourage you leave a a review subscribe share this with somebody that it might help and we'll see you in the next one this is JL signing out